0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our Herbert Smith Free Hills Public M&A podcast series. My name's Antonia Kirkby and I'm part of the M&A team here. And I'm joined today by Veronica Roberts, who is a partner in our competition regulation and trade team, who also heads up our global foreign investment team and Gavin Davies, our head of M&A. So today we're going to talk about the UK's National Security and Investment Act. It came into force just over a year ago and introduced an entirely new regime for the government to vet and potentially even block foreign direct investment in the UK. Actually, although I said foreign investment, as we'll come on to, it's actually not just focused on buyers from particular jurisdictions, all buyers are in scope. And whilst the focus is undoubtedly on businesses in particular sectors, any in scope transaction that may give rise to national security concerns can be called in. All of which means that parties need to think about the potential impact of the regime on any transaction or investment in the UK. And today we're going to discuss its impact on public MLA transactions in particular. And it's worth mentioning at this point that Veronica in particular was closely involved in the legislation as it went through Parliament, including drafting amendments for the House of Lords and giving evidence to a parliamentary committee. So, a deep expert in this area. So, Veronica, can I ask you to start by just giving us a quick reminder of how the regime works, please? Yeah, thanks,
1: Antonia. So, in a nutshell, under the regime, you have the mandatory filing aspect and the voluntary filing aspect. A mandatory filing is required if an investor from the UK or a foreign investor passes through 25% 50% or 75% in a company active in the UK in one of 17 specified sectors. Now, of course, those sectors include military, defence, dual-use type products, but as we've seen the concept of national security stretch in other foreign investment regimes, we see that here in the UK as well. So, for example, synthetic biology is covered, certain transport Ports and airports are covered, for example. So that's when you have to do a mandatory filing and you have to secure your clearance there before completion. The government has a much broader call-in power and they can call in any transaction where the investor has acquired at least material influence in a company where that could give rise to a national security risk in the UK. So that could be in any sector. And as a result, it is also possible to put in a voluntary filing to zero out the risk of the UK government intervening in your transaction. Now, the review takes up to 30 working days and it's not possible to go in early for some sort of fireside chat to get some sort of guidance on how the ISU, that's the investment security unit sitting within BASE, is actually going to view your transaction The ISU operates a hub and spoke model, so they will go out to different departments of the government as relevant during that review process, asking for their comments and views on the transaction. And there are significant sanctions for non-compliance with this regime, financial sanctions, but also any transaction that should have been notified under the mandatory filing part of the regime and wasn't, in principle, will be void.
0: Thanks, Veronica. And so we've had this regime in place for a year now. Can you just talk us through what's happened so far in terms of transactions called in, decisions we've seen and so on, please?
1: Yeah, that's right. So in in the last just over a year, we've seen two divestment orders. So that's where the government has actually ordered the acquirer to divest all or most of its stake in a company. We've seen three prohibitions, and that's that, that's obvious on the face of it. We've also seen nine conditional clearance decisions and we've actually been involved in four of those nine conditional clearance decisions. And that's where the government allows the transaction to go ahead, but subject to remedies that it imposes on the parties. And those familiar with other FDI regimes will not be surprised by these remedies. They focus very much on the information that's going back to the acquirer about the national security sensitive aspects of the activities. Sometimes an HMG board observer has been put on the board of the UK company. Sometimes a national security director or export control director needs to be appointed. That's the type of remedy that we're seeing in practice. But those remedies aren't being published. Again, like many other FDI regimes, the detail of that is kept confidential. We just see on the website that a high level national security concern has been identified and that's it. And clearances are not published at all as a matter of routine. We think the ICU is getting broadly the number of notifications they expected to receive. We, we don't think they, they're drowning in notifications. But occasionally, companies will announce that their transaction has been reviewed. So, an example of that, for example, was BT announcing that Altice increasing its stake in BT was something that the ISU was looking into.
0: Thanks, Veronica. That's interesting. Um, Gavin, moving over to you now. Should we should we talk about what impact? it's had on public m a in particular because I know when it was first proposed the legislation raised some real concerns uh, amongst m a practitioners so could we just chat through what, what's actually happened?
2: Yes thank you Antonia and as, as you say, at the time that the legislation was being discussed in draft I think there was a lot of focus on a particular point around sanctions as Veronica said the legislation introduces significant sanctions um, in particular if Uh, transaction acquisition should have been notified wasn't um, it can be void now uh, that gave everybody a lot of pause for thought about how you actually in a situation where um, that that is sort of decided after uh, public takeover has closed how you actually unwind a public takeover Um, it is still not clear how you would do that but I think that is just a something within the legislation that we all work with pragmatically Um, And I think it's simply to say uh, that's the reason why everybody works hard to make sure they find themselves in that position. Um, Having said that, I think it's probably fair to say that this new or year old piece of um, regulation sits and fits in quite an obvious and sort of clear way within the uh, UK takeover uh, rules and practice. it is of course possible and people do include a regulatory condition um, where ns and i uh clearance is needed uh, or indeed it's chosen to be sought on a voluntary basis um the takeovers working party of the city of london law society has worked up a standard conditions for parties to use and everybody is is, is comfortable with that Hopefully the UK Takeover Panel has confirmed that an NSI um, uh, application would be treated as an official authorisation or regulatory clearance. So that means it's more likely that a bidder would be able to invoke a condition relating to a clearance under the Act. Um, of course, it's not absolutely certain that it would be able to it would nonetheless be subject to the usual tests that any authorisation or clearance is subject to. It would need to be of material significance to the bidder in the context of the offer. Um, the panel, of course, would also be looking, for example, at what remedies would be required for the clearances, but the condition sits um, alongside other regulatory conditions. Um, I think the timetable works um, as 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 well um the code has helpfully been amended not just because of nsni but because also there's sort a of wider proliferation of this kind of regime and antitrust regimes um requiring clearance for acquisitions um the code has been amended recently to allow more flexibility in the code timetable where an official authorisation or regulatory clearance is needed um Particularly, parties can ask for the timetable to be suspended if a clearance hasn't been obtained by day 37 of the offer timetable. So that's the condition, that's the where it works within the, the timetable. Um, in terms of how one actually goes about seeking clearance uh, under the Act in the context of a takeover, I think just to reiterate um, uh, Veronica's point, there's no uh, fireside chats or guidance conversations as you're preparing the deal. So there's no conversations with the ISU, you know, the unit responsible for this, ahead of actually putting the submission in. Um, That's appropriate anyway, because um, once it goes to the ISU, as Veronica explained, under the departmental hub and spoke model, um, the, the 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 information the application is going to go out widely within the departments wide by all potentially. Um. So the the first interaction you have is when you announce the the actual offer itself. Um. So as we say, it's a it's the condition, it's the timetable, and it's the point at which you you put it in has fallen into a pretty sensible um uh, sensible part of normal takeover practice
0: thanks Gavin so yeah it, as you say it fits in well with the kind of the rule book the takeover code what have we actually seen in practice on takeovers has it had much impact
2: the, the short answer is no not much um as Veronica took us through we've heard about the divestment orders the prohibitions and the conditional clearances um no takeovers have um you know been within any of those um in fact no sort of public situations takeover's have actually been called in other than um Veronica mentioned the BT position where Altis um increased the stake to 18% I'd also add in where um in Royal Mail have uh, indicated a potential um intention to go above 22% um, in both of those situations um the UK government Called that stake building in and took a look at it, making Veronica's point that you know material influence can be underneath 25%. Both of those were, were cleared. I think those are the public situations that have most been uh, that are most relevant. Uh, otherwise, I should say that parties are still including a condition where there is a um, prospective intervention. So look at the Science Group offer for TGP Group or the Schneider Electric offer for Viva or SS C for Blue Prism. Um but we haven't seen in any deals the NSNI clearance, the ISU process being a hold up on the deal. We haven't seen that being the longest poll in the tent. Um it's been something that's just been gone through as part of the other clearances uh within with, with, within the takeover deal. I think Perhaps finally I'd say that we also haven't seen um, so much of the politics that perhaps people might have initially been concerned about when this legislation was first discussed. Of course we know it's a national security regime, there is obviously concern at the time of its introduction um, that it might be broadened to more general industrial intervention or indeed a wider sort of populist Politicisation um, by politicians, and we haven't really seen uh, that happen. We haven't seen uh, politicians calling on um, deals to be referred to mm. the ICU to be looked at under the NSI, where it's sort of the broader than national security. So that's not to say that won't happen, but it's to say that we haven't really seen that so far.
0: Yeah, thanks, Gavin. I agree. I think pre so previous regime, we definitely saw that on a few transactions. So I'm sure when the right transactions come along, we might see that sort of uh, wider intervention or calling for intervention. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, thanks both. That was a really helpful run through through what we've seen. Gavin, do you just want to round up today's session by giving sort of your key takeaway points for parties and advisors on the regime when they're looking at public M&A transactions?
2: Thanks, Antonia. Yes, I've got four points, really. Three are very straightforward. One requires perhaps a bit more thought. Um, Firstly, just remember the regime can apply to state building as well as full takeovers. Uh, Secondly, there can be some debate about whether something falls within the mandatory um, regime or or would be a voluntary filing. I think uh, parties really are erring on the side of caution around those debates and putting in for clearances, even where there's some gray area simply because of uh, not wanting to find themselves in the um, complex unwind. Uh, risk situation um thirdly as we said no no pre-soundings um you just go straight to the isu once the deal's been announced i think those are the three sort of clear simple things i think the fourth one that requires perhaps a bit more thought is the interplay um between the isu looking at the deal and going out in the offer either with a post-offer undertaking under the uh, takeover code regime or, um, perhaps as the panel might prefer, a direct undertaking to the government. So either of those is a way of trying to get ahead of how the ISU might look at the deal. It's a way, without having had that sort of pre-sounding, of, of, of putting the the bidder's own position out there in public before the ISU gets a um, first look at it. I think we'd call out particularly as an example of that Cobham's acquisition of Ultra Electronics Holdings where Cobham offered preemptively a series of commitments to the UK government to address potential concerns um, uh, around security matters uh, to try and get ahead of the UK government in intervention process. So I think this fourth point is where people are giving a little bit more thought to sort of tactics and strategy um, on sensitive deals.
1: And then of course Gavin, we've got the recent announcement that Bayes, the Department for Business, is going to be rejigged and, and we've seen that the ISU may end up actually sitting in the Cabinet Office as a result of those proposals. So it'd be interesting to see where that ends up, I'm not sure that's going to result in any any difference in practice, but it would be interesting to see where they end up.
0: Great. Right, yeah, I agree. Thank you both very much for today. That's a really helpful session. And thank you too to our listeners. We would really welcome any feedback you have on this podcast or on other public MA podcasts and areas you'd like to see us cover in future episodes. And we look forward to you joining us on our next one.